And I'll say at the outset that my intent tonight is not to preach the thoroughness of Revelation, uh, but to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in particular, the dynamic that John experiences in his being in the Spirit and the giving of the Revelation. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, who opened John's eyes to see what he saw in Revelation? Two, in a few words, how would you describe Jesus' appearance in John's vision? Three, how is Revelation an encouragement to God's people? And four, why should people who don't believe in Jesus be concerned by what is written in Revelation? Revelation chapter 1, this is the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. For I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. 
Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord our God, how thankful we are that you have spoken to us and you've opened up your glorious truths to us throughout your scriptures. We thank you for the glorious revelation that you've given to us as heaven itself is opened to us through your words. Lord, as we enter into this end of our series tonight, Lord, we ask for your continued blessing on our on our hearing of your word. Lord, we have heard you speak through this very passage. And now please use your preacher so that we might continue to hear from you tonight. Send your Holy Spirit in a special way. Lord, open each one of our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to what you would have us hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John is the lone survivor of the apostles, and he's been banished to a tiny Roman penal colony on Patmos for his devotion to Christ. And he's wonderfully interrupted by this extraordinary experience, and he's told to write what he sees and send it out to the churches. Thankfully, he does so. Passed on to the churches, it was preserved throughout the ages for the church, and it's here for us today. We can be very thankful for the Word of God given to us in its entirety and here in this last book of the Bible. What we have here is the God-breathed Word, the Scriptures. No wonder it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. What a blessing. The very first word in Revelation is the word apocalypse. Apocalypse. That simply means to take the cover off of something. The word apocalypse has come to mean something that it really wasn't originally intended for. It tends to mean, in our language, it tends to mean some epic catastrophe. We might say, appropriately, of biblical proportions. And while it certainly is that for those who don't believe, it is this terrible catastrophe for those who don't believe, for those who set themselves up for God, up against God, I'm sorry, it's equally or probably even more so meant to encourage God's people, the very opposite of this terrifying apocalypse. In our language, it probably is better for us to use the title Revelation, because It's about what's revealed to us. The cover that's lifted, we might say, is a door, a door that's opened for John so that he can, as it were, look into heaven, to have this heavenly vision. The way the vision comes to him is significant. If you look back at the beginning of our passage, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants. So so we can kind of understand it like this. God gives the Son, the Father gives the Son the revelation, and we do hear Jesus speaking throughout the revelation, but then we have the focus being Jesus himself, 
There are times when John is assisted by an angel, but the predominance of the whole letter or the whole book is communicated by John who is in the spirit. The spirit is at work giving John the revelation. John is in the spirit. That's what he says. I, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So here you have John minding his own business here in exile, but his business was the business of the Lord. And here he's approached by the Holy Spirit and he has this vision. And we should understand that this is not a dream. He's not asleep. He's, he's fully awake. How else could we imagine it? With such stimulating things that are sent John's way, how could he be asleep? This is a vision. I like the way William Hendrickson, the commentator, puts this when he refers to John being in the spirit. He writes, it is the Lord's day, that is the first day of the week, the day on which we commemorate the Lord's resurrection. John is probably thinking about Ephesus and the other churches in Asia Minor. Suddenly the earth seems to sink away under his feet and his soul seems to be liberated from the shackles of time and space. He is taken out of contact with the physical world around him. He is in the spirit. He sees indeed, but not with physical eyes. He hears, but not with physical ears. He is in direct spiritual contact with his Savior. He is alone with God. He is wide awake, and every avenue of his soul is wide open to the direct communication coming from God. And John is taken up and he's brought many different places with all reverence. We can almost see that he has a guided tour of the glorious things of heaven. Jump ahead to chapter 4 and do keep your Bibles open to Revelation, just a couple verses here in the beginning of chapter 4. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And then he's shown this appearance of the Lord, the splendor of his glory. We might say that he's taken to a site above circumstance or above circumstances. He's, he's lifted above the things that we simply see on earth. And he's lifted up above circumstances in order to communicate to the church encouragement. Again, this letter or this long document is meant to encourage the churches. It was meant to encourage, encourage Christians then. They're under Roman persecution. It's about to be unleashed dramatically. So believers then needed to be able to read Revelation and understand that it was for them. But again, throughout the ages, this has been an encouragement for the churches, and it's true now as well. Especially if we can use the word especially for those who are being persecuted. And the simple assurance is this, is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive 
and he's ruling and he's reigning. He has had the victory. He has the victory now and he shares it with Christians. And one day, the victory will be complete. It's the self-same Jesus who walked the earth. In fact, he looks as though he were a lamb that had been slain, but he's the king of kings and lord of lords at the same time. And described in such a dramatic pictorial way that John is completely undone even at the vision of Christ. In a sense, I think that the full glory of Christ is somewhat veiled if John was undone simply by the vision. Imagine at that point, still in the flesh, seeing a resurrected Christ in glory face to face. But here we have a vision of the splendor and glory of God, with the focus being Jesus the Lamb. And we see in this vision God's masterful sovereignty and justice under the glorious reign of Jesus Christ. But while this is a heavenly picture that takes us beyond the tangible here on earth, it speaks to the churches. It speaks to literally seven churches that represent the church as a whole. And the message to the churches is essentially, take heed how you conduct yourselves. And he does so with both warnings and blessings. And he speaks to the church today. And it is the Spirit speaking, pointing out the problems in the church, the dangers that the church faces, but also the blessings. I want you to turn simply to chapter 2, and we're going to look at one verse for each of the churches, because in each case, we're reminded that it is the Spirit who is speaking. He is speaking to the churches. So we'll kind of jump through these verses in 2 and 3. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Repeated again and again, the Spirit speaking to the churches. Verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Finally, verse 22. Again, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you get the sense that the churches need to tune their ears to what the Spirit is saying. And the church today needs to tune its ears to what, what Christ has to say, what the Spirit has to say about the condition and the warnings that the church must deal with to stay steadfast, warnings against being unfaithful, but the blessings that come with being faithful. It is the Spirit speaking to the church. Again, through the ages, 
reminding the church, you are still in the so-called ground war, meaning your battle on earth is not yet over. Engage, fight in the struggle. Fight the good fight. The church needs courage to do that. And the church cannot, simply cannot, have confidence if the church thinks that there is a possibility of losing this cosmic battle. If the church is under the impression that somehow that all Jesus has accomplished for his kingdom can somehow be defeated, if the church doesn't have that victorious view of Jesus reigning and ruling and bringing things into completion, then we certainly can't have courage or confidence. But Revelation is all about the church being courageous and trusting what the Lord has said. If we believe what God has said, there's not a chance that the kingdom of darkness can prevail. Even facing death. Turn with me to chapter 14. Again, hear the voice of the Spirit. Here is a call, this is 14 verse 12, I'm sorry. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Even in death, there's victory for the saints. But the letter also contains a warning to humanity in rebellion. Not only humanity, but all the principalities and powers. The message is, don't think that you're getting away with this rebellion. Be warned, if you're not in the kingdom of God, you're in dreadful Babylon. Look at chapter 17. Verses 3 to 5. And he carried me away in the Spirit. Again, John in the Spirit. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Babylon represents all that sets itself up against God and all the principalities and powers, all the people that set themselves up against the kingdom of God. Anyone in rebellion against the Christ. Tell me, what happens to her? What happens to her? 
Look at chapter 18, the first five verses. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And all the merchants and all that have invested in Babylon are mourning and grieving the destruction of the mother of prostitutes. But at her destruction, the people of God rejoice. Same chapter. Pick up in verse 20. And we'll go right into the next chapter. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. I'm sorry, jump back. I mean to be in 1820. Here we go. Back in 1820, I apologize. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more in the sound of harpists and the Musicians of flute players and trumpets will be heard in you no more. The craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his saints, you who fear him, small and great. Rejoicing in heaven over the destruction of evil and all that sets itself up against God. Here's the stark contrast. Contrast. Revelation 21, first 10 verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a while. 
and then jump to chapter 21. Evil vanquished, the devil doomed forever. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see the drama, the horror for all that sets itself up against God, but you see the beauty of the blessing now and forever for the saints of God. So through Revelation, the world is being beckoned. The world is being beckoned through the voice of the Holy Spirit. People, get ready. No matter what your view of the end times is, you've got to know that things don't remain the same. And Christians need to know that there's so much that we don't see. But here we've been given an amazing glimpse into the glories of God, his victory, his sovereignty, his power, his might, the reign of Christ. Even if personally we're not here on earth at the climax, we see that, that there's something so much bigger and so much more long-lasting than anything that meets the eye here on earth. Things will not remain the same. There's a final chapter to come. And Christians, you're not to freak out. You're not to freak out by the things that are going on in the world. You're not to freak out even by the awesome, terrifying revelations that we find in this book. Nor are we to make wild predictions that are too often made about what this book is all about. Wild predictions. But we're to respond by trusting God. Hear the Spirit comforting saints. Hear the Spirit warning sinners. Warning sinners in the here and now. So the church is to be vigilant, still in battle. Through a victory that's clearly been won by Christ. And a world in darkness needs to hear that there are grim consequences to sin and rebellion against God. 
Finally, while the Spirit calls, people get ready. Also, thirsty, come and drink. I already elaborated on this particular verse, these verses in a different sermon in this series, but finally, Revelation 22, beginning in verse 12. And here is this wonderful dialogue between Christ and the Spirit and the church. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You have been treated in God's word in Revelation to a divine perspective, a view that should capture the hearts and minds of all true saints and to put us very much at peace. Let's pray. Almighty God, we know that even in your word, with all the glories that have been revealed to us, we have only had a glimpse of a glory that is beyond our understanding, beyond our imagination, but a glory that you behold as the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've given us a wonderful glimpse of the glories of your kingdom that is forever and ever. And so we close tonight thanking you and praising you for your great mercy, kindness, your unbending commitment to your church. We thank you for the victory in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're not ashamed or afraid to call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will reign forever and ever. Amen.